Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. What's up, clones? Welcome to the Daily Jungle and welcome to Flame Out Friday. So while we hit on the return of Brock Lobster and LeBron and Lonzo's postgame chat, the show really was dedicated to the great flameouts in jungle history. Thanks to Dr. Dave's epic meltdown yesterday. There were some amazing resets today and even a call from Flamian himself. Big, big guest day, too. Pittsburgh Steelers linebacker Arthur Motes came in right before their showdown with New England. The Chargers' Melvin Ingram joined me one day before playing for the AFC West in Arrowhead. And SB Nation's Paul Flannery came in to talk about what's going on in the NBA right now. And all of that, plus Alvy's week that was. TGIF. The grind includes Friday. The Daily Jungle starts right now. All right, starting with last night's matchup, the Thursday night game. You know, yesterday there was a report that the Broncos would be looking for a quarterback in the offseason. And my first question is, why? Why would you do that? I mean, really? They're looking for a quarterback. I mean, their quarterback room is the envy of the entire NFL. Who would not want any of their three gunslingers that they have in there, let alone all of them? Anyway, before the Broncos-Colts last night, Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network reported that the Broncos are going to look for a quarterback, either by draft or free agency, or both. And after the Broncos-Colts game, I can report there is no need to do that. Absolutely no need to do it. No need to burn a high draft pick on somebody who may or may not get it done. No need to scratch a fat check for a guy who may or may not fit in your system. You've already got your guy, the guy. 6'7", 240, out of Arizona State, Brock Allen Osweiler, a.k.a. the Brock Lobster. Alvy, hit it. Did you see this giraffe last night? Trevor Simeon started for Denver, and the truth is they didn't do jack with him under center. But when he went down with a shoulder injury... Denver turned to the Brock Lobster, and he turned that offense into a Ferrari. First, he started things off with this. Now third down and nine. Thomas split out wide to the left. Anderson in the backfield from the shotgun. Oswater takes the snap, steps up, takes off inside the 10 to the end zone. He dives. Touchdown, Brock Osweiler. Hell yes, he did. For a second, I thought that was Mike Vick or Steve Young in Broncos gear. I mean, he made it look that easy. I don't know if it was his lightning speed, his cut-on-a-dime agility, or the fact that he is about 10 feet tall. But the Colts did not have an answer for him in the open field on that play. I mean, every coach knows that. You just want to get this guy in open space. You want to get that guy in open space. And they didn't seem to be in a real hurry to jump in front of that freight train as it barreled towards the end zone. But then again, would you? But Osweiler is not just about his wheels. That dude can sling it as well. There was this 22-yard hookup with Cody Latimer that gave Denver the lead. Second down and four from the 22. Osweiler with time. He throws to the end zone, and the catch is made for a touchdown by Cody Latimer. 22-yard pass play. Osweiler to Latimer, his second touchdown of the season. Dude, this guy's incredible. Freaking perfect location he was fitting those passes into tight windows and if you thought that was good if you thought that was good then this dime to Jeff Hireman was even better off the fake to Anderson Osweiler with loads of time he throws and it's caught by the tight end Jeff Hireman and he will take it all the way for a Broncos touchdown 54 yards Osweiler to Hireman for his second touchdown of the season and the Broncos now lead 20 to 13. How the hell did he do that? I mean, I'm watching that game last night, and I can't believe what I'm seeing. How the hell did that guy do that? Now, normally I would never even ask that question because it's like asking a magician to explain a trick. But Osweiler, because this dude is so awesome, was more than happy to share. One of those deals, you know, he's actually number three in progression, but, you know, the middle of field safety um, cheated to DT and Emmanuel pre-snap. Those guys were on the same side of the field, and um, you know, the biggest thing was just getting a great fake with the back, holding that safety. Um, and then Jeff just did a tremendous job at the top of his route. And um, it was really just kind of hitting a wide open guy. Matt, can you believe how confident this guy is? Would you believe the swagger of this guy? This guy sounds like Montana, Marino, Manning, Bradshaw, Fouts all rolled into one. 
I have never heard a quarterback sound as confident as he did after that game. But then again, I'm not sure I've ever seen a quarterback make the game look as easy as that guy did. Because that's what the great ones do. That's what Brock Lobster did last night. 12 of 17, 194 yards, two touchdowns in the air, a touchdown on the ground, no picks, a passer rating of nearly a buck 50. That was a game for the ages. And also, by the way, one for the haters as well. He made that look easy, too easy. Then again, it is easy for him. He owns the Colts. He's 3-0 against the Colts. So maybe you start showing this dude a little respect. And before you do it, do not even think about coming in here to tell me how horrible the Colts are as a team. That they've blown a league record five double-digit leads this season. I don't care about that. I'm not interested in your opinion that they routinely get blown out in the second half. And it happened again last night. Just like I don't care that the Colts are 31st in points allowed this season. The reason why they did not have any answers for Brock Osweiler is because there are no answers for Brock Osweiler. You could have had the 85 Bears out there last night, and they're still getting torched. That's how good the Brock Lobster was. If Indy looked hopeless last night, it's because it's hard to hope when your mission is to keep a weapon like Brock Osweiler under wraps. The dude's 17 feet tall. He's got laser-like accuracy and great open field speed. And even more dangerous than a normal Brock Osweiler is a Brock Osweiler having fun. And dude was having a blast last night. I was a little kid having fun tonight. That's, that's really what it was. Um, uh, you know, you guys all know I, I, I've been on a little bit of a roller coaster ride for, for about two years. And um, just to go out there, you know, Thursday night football um, with my teammates who I love and um, I was just having fun, and, and that was simply it. I was I was going to lay it all out there. You know, we always talk about, um, you know, around our building. You never know when it's going to be your last play, your last game um, in this business. So um, just enjoy every moment, and uh, that's really what I was doing tonight. No, I love that jam. Keep that thing up, Albie. I love that jam. I love that jam, and I love that dude. I'm glad he enjoyed that moment. I know I did. I also know that the Broncos are looking for their next franchise quarterback. If they are, that's a big mistake because they've got it. They already have that guy. He's their franchise quarterback because he's been a quarterback with three franchises. In 2017, I'm talking about the Lobster. Brock Lobster. Give this guy credit. Respect this guy. He earned it. Arthur Motes is my guest. Arthur, it's great to have you back. How are you? Hey, man, it feels great to be back. And I just got to say, that was a top-notch introduction. I just want to let you know that, man. I appreciate My man, Arthur Motes, you know it. I appreciate you saying it. And when you and I spoke last year, it was one of my favorite conversations of the year because of your energy, your enthusiasm for everything. So here we are right now, 48 hours away from facing the Patriots on Sunday. How you feeling right now? How is life for Arthur Motes? Man, well, you know, I'm feeling great about it. Um, I feel like, you know, we have a great game plan. Uh, it's been a great week of practice. But, you know, we just have to continue to make sure that we're locking on these details because we all know when you face New England, you have to be – I feel like, you know, we definitely match up well with them. It's going to be a lot of fun on Sunday. Arthur Motes, my guest. So when you're going up against Tom Brady, what is the number one priority for the defense as a whole and for you as a linebacker? Man, well, first off, you got to get hits on them. You think about every team that's really had success against New England, they've got the Brady. Uh, you think about Denver, was it two, three years ago in the AFC Championship game? You think about Miami just on Monday night. All those teams, man, that, that have had a lot of success against them have got big hits on them, have frustrated them and things like that. And then the second thing is you have to capitalize on turnover opportunities. Anytime, you know, a ball is tipped, the ball is, you know, potentially fumbled or whatever it may be, you have to come up with it on the defense because you know it's very rare that they make mistakes. If you look on the statistics from this season, how many interceptions or turnovers do they even have right now? It's not a lot. So you definitely have to make sure you capitalize on every opportunity. Steelers linebacker Arthur Motes is our guest. You know, the defense obviously is playing without Ryan. Shazier, it's a big loss, but Cameron Hayward made the point that this team is built to withstand any challenge. How has the team and the defense then, in particular, responded to that challenge? Man, well, Cam is very, uh, very true because the thing that we always preach here is the next man up. We make sure that even if you're the second or third guy on the depth chart, or in my case, at a different position, you know, we're always making sure that we're steady, making sure that we're preparing ourselves both physically and mentally so when your number is called, you're able to step in there and, and try not to make them miss a beat at all defensively. So I feel like for us, man, Throughout the whole season, we've had different injuries at different levels. You think about the first game of the season, we had lost Stephon Tua for a couple of weeks. Then you lose Joe Hayden for a couple of weeks. Now we're dealing with Ryan. So 
all you know, all the guys at those different positions have had to step up, and all these games have been bigger. I mean, you think about the later it gets in the season, the more important these games get. So I feel like you know we just all do a good job, especially the guys who aren't starting, of just preparing ourselves both mentally and physically, making sure that you're mentally taking every rep, making sure that you're watching twice as much film because when your number is called, you have to go in there and produce. Clones, can you give me one moment so I can talk to you about something very important to me? Stamps.com. Listen, these days, you can get practically everything on demand, such as our podcast. Listen whenever you want, when it's convenient for you. So let me ask you, why are you still going to the post office and dealing with their limited hours when you can get postage on demand with Stamps.com? Anything that you can do at the post office, you can now do right from your desk. As an example, the holidays are coming up. My wife, Janet, is all about the Christmas card. We send out hundreds, literally hundreds of Christmas cards, and there's no way we could do it without Stamps.com. I'm going to print my own postage. I'm going to do it when I want and do it at home. Trust me, with the holidays coming up, you should do the exact same thing, and you'll thank me for it. Go to Stamps.com, hit the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Jungle. That's Stamps.com, enter Jungle for a special, special offer. A four-week trial, which includes postage and a digital scale. Do not wait. You want to go to Stamps.com, and before you do anything else, hit the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Jungle. That's Stamps.com, enter Jungle. Stamps.com, never go to the post office ever again. I know I won't. That's stamps.com. Now it's back to our daily jungle. Obviously, you don't ever want to lose anybody, but to lose a player who's that well thought of, who's that good of a player, and that that much of a leader, that strong of a presence, what was it like emotionally for you to see him go down like that? Oh, man, it hurt us all emotionally. I mean, that's our brother, first off. So you take away the the, the football aspect of it. That's just somebody that you genuinely care about on a personal level. So anytime you see somebody like that, that you're that close with, go down, it hurts you to your heart. And then after that, you talk about the football aspect of it. I mean, he was our main, you know, communication guy, the guy who gets us on all our checks and things like that. So that that had a major effect both physically and emotionally on us. But at the end of the day, we love them. So it's like you support them, you know, when you're off, when you're off the field. But when you're on the field, you just have to mentally lock back in and understand that, hey, we have to focus and we have to get this call right because there's a task at hand that we have to complete. Stewart's linebacker Arthur Motes joining us. You know, when you and I talked in the past, we talked about the fact that you were a sixth-round draft pick, and the expectation is that most sixth-round draft picks are not going to last very long in the league, let alone have the career and the impact that you've had. So when you look back on your career, what kind of thoughts do you have? Uh, I mean, I feel like well, it's kind of weird right now since I'm still uh, <laughs> doing it. But honestly, man, right. I feel like, you know, I've, I've uh, definitely defeated the odds, man. I've done a lot of things both on and off the field. But I feel like, you know, it's still a ton of work to be done. Um, I think about, you know, the top six rounders in this league. You think about Tom Brady. You think about Antonio Brown. I'm still striving to get on that level. That's, you know, how I always envision it. So I feel like, you know, I'm far from a finished product, but I definitely have done a lot of positive things. Yeah, you've done a lot of positive things off the field, too, that we'll get to in a minute. But Sports Illustrated was doing an ongoing series where NFL players show other skills, and you were part of that, <laughs> demonstrating your talents on the piano. How did you first get started playing the piano? All right, well, <laughs> so I picked up the piano in college, and this is the whole story behind it. Um, I was a self-taught drummer. I started playing the drums at probably eight years old. And when I got to college, I didn't have a drum set, but my roommate had a keyboard. And, you know, I still just had this crazy passion for music. And I told him, to, you know, just teach me a little something on the keys. And literally from there, man, it was just something that I just continued to, to just play and just get, you know, more comfortable with. And ultimately, man, it's one of my ways of just relaxing. It's, it's how I, you know, unwind and just kind of get that stress relief off me and things like that. Because with, you know, the piano, you can put whatever your mood you're in into music and it's going to turn out lovely. You know, there's that, and then you're so active off the field. You were at the Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh of UPMC earlier this week. You were handing out bears to kids and working the phones for the annual telethon. What was that experience like? Man, that was an unreal experience, man. First off, you think about, you know, just the, the, the tradition with that telethon. I mean, I want to say it was the 64th annual telethon that we've had here at Children's Hospital. So it's a, a staple in the Pittsburgh community. But then the, the, the personal side of it, man, just being able to go to Children's Hospital and see the kids there, you know, who, I, shoot, one of the kids I had met last night had just had brain surgery. So, you know, anytime you're able to just connect with them on a personal level and just give them that comfort, that reassurance that people care about you, and ultimately, man, just bring a smile to their face while they're in that very tough situation, man, I feel like it definitely, you know, was very beneficial for both parties. Arthur Motes joining me for a couple of more moments. As I mentioned off the top, you played your college ball at James Madison, and when we talked last year, we talked about the commitment that you and your 
your wife have made to James Madison over the years. Then this year, you were invited back as the commencement speaker. That's the kind of thing that most people only dream of. What was it like to receive the honor? Man, when I tell you that was, you know, definitely one of my top honors that I've ever received, man. Extremely humbled by it. It was just a surreal experience because... You say you think about when you first go to college, you never think that you're going to come back and give a commencement speech, you know. But to be able to have that opportunity for, for you know, to, to give the words of encouragement for these, you know, college individuals on their last day on campus, right before they go off into the real world, I felt like it was extremely important to deliver a message that not only, you know, encourage them, because sometimes there's uncertainty when you, you're thinking about what's the next step after school, where am I going to go, where am I going to work, and things like that. But also just to let them know that, Everything that they've, you know, experienced while they were at JMU has already prepared them for the battle. They're already prepared for success in life in general. So, you know, those are the things I tried to uh, speak on when I was doing my commencement speech, and it was ultimately a lot of fun. You know, I think the word surreal best describes it, Arthur, because they once, in my college, they brought me back, quote, as distinguished alumni, which tells you there aren't very many distinguished alumni from my college. But, man, it was such a trip to go into a lecture hall where I sat years and years earlier as a student and then look back at them and share the message, right? So I know exactly what you're talking about. It's surreal. (laughs) Meanwhile, you saw the Lakers. And the Lakers went to Cleveland last night. It was the first meeting of Lonzo Ball and LeBron James. Honestly, like a lot of things involving the Lakers this year, it actually was better than expected. Much more exciting than expected. Yes, the Cavaliers beat them 121 to 112. LeBron had a triple double. Kevin Love had a double double. And there are no moral victories, but there were some nice moments for the Lakers, like this smooth give and go from Brooke Lopez to Brandon Ingram. Rebound Ingram. Ingram brings it himself across half court for the Lakers. Bounce pass to Lopez, right back to Ingram on a give and go, slam dunk. Perfectly executed give and go by Brooke Lopez and Brandon Ingram puts the Lakers up 8 to 6. Lakers radio, or how about this, an absolute joke of an outlet pass from Lonzo. LeBron still dribbling with Ingram on him. LeBron shoots a three. That one's no good. Rebound Lonzo, length of the court pass to Ingram. What a pass by Lonzo, and Ingram lays it in. Boy, look at Tom Brady hitting Gronkowski on a streak. I don't know if you saw that or not, but... That wasn't so much an outlet pass. An outlet pass is what you do when you pull down a rebound and you throw it to a guard, normally somewhere around the foul line, extended. Ball threw that beyond the other free throw line and put it right where it needed to be, and it was practically a no-look pass. He's barely down from getting the rebound, and the ball is already out of his hands. You throw passes like that, and then you don't have to shoot. But the highlights were not all about the Lakers. There was also this hammer from LeBron. J.R. Smith now to the foul line, drives in on Lonzo Ball, missed the floater, gets his own rebound, sends it back to LeBron, had his team look out, he dropped his own, a two-handed dunk. Heads-up play by J.R. Smith, he got his own rebound, found the cutter and LeBron, who stormed down the center of the paint. LeBron has trimmed the Laker lead to 43-40. Cavs radio. So it's pretty cool, right? If I do a take and I put in some audio, that works pretty well. But when the show comes to TV at the start of next year, we'll probably drop some video into that take. So you'll get your audio, but you'll have your video. And if you're watching along, it's going to look like a real TV show. It's going to be awesome. But then when it comes to last night, nobody wants to talk about the game, right? All anybody wants to talk about is what happened after the game. Specifically, what LeBron was saying to Lonzo when he went top secret with it and covered his mouth. Of course, LeBron was not saying. He wasn't saying it in the immediate on-court interview after the game. I didn't tell him anything. It's not for everybody. There's enough noise out there already with Zoe, and uh, it's not for me to discuss. And then that was right after the game. Also, he was not going to say anything later on. He told reporters at that point, quote, none of y'all business. All right, it's a veteran move. Let's try the rookie. The rookie won't know any better. Yo, Zoe, what did LeBron say to you after the game? What? One more time. He didn't tell me anything. Yeah, exactly. Look, I understand why reporters have to ask. I understand why they have to do their job. And I understand why he's giving that answer. What would be the point of covering your mouth and then telling everybody what you said moments earlier? That's why you cover your mouth in the first place. You don't want anybody to know what you're saying. And I guarantee whatever he was saying probably is not nearly as interesting as we all want it to be or as Twitter thought it was. There's no way that he was telling Lonzo that he's coming to the Lakers or that his brothers were going to have a horrible time in Lithuania 
or asking if he could buy a pair of Lonzo shoes or asking for real estate advice in SoCal. He's already got a couple of houses here. Or seeing what Lonzo knows about LA's ability to waive and stretch Luol Dang's deal in order to free up cap space to make a run at LeBron and Paul George both. I'm guessing it was none of that. But either way, LeBron was not going to give it up. Quote, I don't do it to get a reaction. I do it because he said he's over and over since he was growing up who he modeled his game after, who his favorite player was. It was me. I was humbled by that. Me wishing him happy birthday on Twitter was kind of a salute back to him. I see all the stupid noise that happens. I can't buy a place in L.A. I can't live in L.A. It's funny noise, but I don't get involved in it. When I post things, I don't look at comments. I'm so far removed from the white noise and the noise, it doesn't matter, end quote. That's LeBron. Yeah, You know, yes, yes and no. He's not talking to Lonzo to get a reaction, but he knows that talking to Lonzo will get a reaction. LeBron is smart like that. I get it. I like it. He's in the entertainment business. He knows that that will get people buzzing and talking for weeks about what it means for his relationship with Lonzo and a future decision about the Lakers. LeBron knows that, of course. But for all that talk about LeBron going to the Lakers, I'm not sure that last night really will have much of an impact in the grand scheme of things. I mean, sure, he got a chance to see Lonzo, Ingram, and the rest of the crew in action on the floor. But does anyone really think that a major decision is going to come down midweek in one game in December? Maybe, maybe not, probably not. Now, I will say this. The good news for the Laker fans is that the baby Lakers did not show up in Cleveland and throw up all over themselves. I'm not saying that you can win LeBron over in mid-December, but you can definitely scare him off. Lose by 30 and be an absolute mess on both ends of the floor, and it's hard to imagine that that's going to leave a good impression. I think they probably left a pretty good impression. They held their own. Ball had flashes. Ingram had flashes. Kyle Kuzma had flashes. That's all good. But the bad thing is, they're not superstars yet. There is potential, but you'd be asking LeBron to bet on that potential becoming reality in a hurry because he wants to win, and he wants to win right now. Melvin Ingram is my guest. Melvin, it's so good to have you on. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Man, I'm great. So good to visit with you before a big game. You've won four straight. You've won seven of nine to put yourself in a position to have a game that means as much as the one tomorrow night in KC. So how good does it feel to put in all that work and be this close to a huge opportunity for that team? I feel amazing, man. We know the work we've been putting in week in and week out and through the whole season. So we know we grind day in and grind day out. So it feels amazing just to be sitting in this position that we're in. You know, especially given the start the team had, and there's been so much talk about that 0-4 start, it seems like from the outside that nobody in the locker room ever lost faith or belief that you guys could get that self or get yourselves turned around and get back in contention for a playoff spot. Where did that belief and faith come from, especially when you were sitting there 0-4? Man, we always had that belief and that faith, even when we was 0-4, dating back to the offseason. We was all working out together, doing everything together. We always we always had faith in it. We, we instilled a faith throughout those workouts that, all we got is us. No matter if it's going good, no matter if it's going bad, the only people we're going to have is, is the ones inside the locker room. So when we did start over four, we met a little adversity. And, and it just brought us closer, man. It just let us know. It, it really showed us that what we were saying through the offseason was really true. We only got the people in this locker room. So we, we, we just kept doing what we were doing. We knew we were going to start making them, play, them, them little plays at the end of games to win games. L.A. Charger, Melvin Ingram joining us. You know, that's true, right? And those four games, those were close, close losses. And you were able to learn how to finish and turn it around. Chiefs offensive coordinator Matt Nagy called you and Joey Bosa the best pass-rushing tandem in the NFL. I'm not sure that anybody would disagree with that now. How would you describe the chemistry then that you and Joey have and the way the two of you play off each other? Uh, I, think, I, think, I think we work so good together because we're so different. Uh, both our wrestling styles and the way we play football is so different, which really complements each other. And, and we, we try to teach each other stuff daily, really. And, and, and we, we got friendly competitions between each other. I think that's what pushes us to be even better. You know, you guys have the competition between each other, but even he said that when you get a sack, it feels almost as good as him getting a sack himself. Does it feel that way to you? Do you get as pumped up for one of his sacks as you do for one of your own? Of course, of course, because, because we work so hard together. We work so hard together, and it's so hard to get sacks in this league. So, so 
we really just try to put all our eggs in one basket. And when we either one of us get a sack, it's like we both got one, man. We we so excited for each other because we just want to see each other succeed and we want to see the team succeed. So we try to do everything we can do to help the team succeed. L.A. Charger and Melvin Ingram joining us before that big game tomorrow night in KC. As a defense, you guys have been dominant lately. You have not allowed more than 13 points in your last three games. So what's been the biggest change from the start of the season to where you are right now as a defense? Uh, it's been no change, really, man. We've just been we we just been grinding, man. You get to a point where you feel like enough is enough, and we we just been grinding. We we got a motto: if they can't score, they can't win, and, and that stands true to That is so true. Nobody's going to dispute that, my man. If they can't score, they can't win. That's one hundred percent true. Now, when you look yeah. at the other side of the ball, Philip Rivers is playing at an MVP level. Keenan Allen is playing out of his mind. As a defense, how much confidence does it give you to know that when you get a stop and get the ball back to the offense, something good is probably going to happen? Oh, that's amazing, man. And we feel like we got one of the best quarterbacks in the league and one of the best receivers and one of the best running backs, some of the best tight ends. So we feel like we got one of the most powerful offenses in the league. So so as many turnovers as we can get, we know they're going to like the scoreboard up no matter what. Now, if you go back a couple of weeks to that game against Buffalo, you had your first career regular season touchdown. When you picked up a fumble, you went 39 yards for that TD. Take us through the play. What did you see? And then how good did it feel to get into the end zone? Uh, I just seen the ball on the ground. And me, I tell you, I tell everybody every time, and all the coaches, every time I touch the pig and it's probably going to be a touchdown. I, t- I always tell the people around to get a, get a lot of fireworks because if I touch it, it's going to be a touchdown. <laughs> so, so the ball is just on the ground. And I'm like, hey, man, my mentality is scoop and score. I'm trying to change the game, and that's what we all trying to do. Melvin Ingram joining me for a few more moments. Now, earlier in the season, your D coordinator, Gus Bradley, was talking about the various attributes that make you great, your explosiveness, your knowledge of the game, and also your work ethic. Where does the work ethic and the drive to be great come from? Oh, it just comes from my childhood growing up, man. I grew up in a less fortunate area and not very ha- not having very much as a kid. And, and, my, and before my dad passed, he always instilled it in us. If, if anything is worth having, it's worth working for. So, so that's just how I was raised, man. Grind, 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 grind. Hard work will always outweigh talent when talent don't want to work hard. So, so me, I just, I just try to grind every day. I try to get an edge on everybody else. Let me do a little bit more. You know, Melvin, I'm glad you brought up your father. I was going to ask you about your dad because I had Arthur Motes from the Steelers on the show earlier today. We talked about the fact that he plays the piano on the side. You're also into music, and you recorded a number of tracks. And we could talk about how you got your start doing that. But the one thing I do want to ask you, you're not afraid to get personal with the lyrics and talk about the pain that you've experienced in your own personal life, including the passing of your father when you were young. Is there a part of you that feels like if you share that, that it might be maybe somebody else going through a hard time might hear your music, they might benefit from that? Or what's your thought process behind it? Exactly, exactly. I feel like God put us all in positions because he feels like we can handle He don't. He ain't going to put you in something you, you can't handle. So my situation can maybe touch one person, and if it touched one person, then I did what I was supposed to do. You know, you've recorded a number of tracks. How did you first start, and who were some of the artists that inspired you when you were growing up? Uh, I'm, I first started as young. I was, I was really young, and I just always had a passion for music, and I always really just listened to a lot of people, man. I listened to so many people growing up, just like Wayne, Jay-Z, Nas, Mrs. Bleak, Jadakiss. It's so many older rappers that I listen to and now I listen to so many rappers as far as like Meek, Moneybag, Yo Yo Gotti, Bootsy. It's so many people that, that, that play a part in my music because I, I listen to try to listen to every genre of music really. And, and and when you can reach into every genre of music it's so much easier to express yourself through music. You know, it's easy to see how much it means to you and that you've got a passion for it. And there have been athletes who've looked to cross over to music before and not everybody can do it for obvious reasons. But there are some athletes who've had, who have done it, like maybe a Damian Lillard. Are there any athletes that you see or hear and you think, you know what, that guy's good. He's legitimately good. Nah. I really, I really just focus on my own music when it, when it comes to athletes and music, really. You just focused on your own stuff? Yeah. Is there anybody you want to work with, any producer, any other artist that you really want to work with that you haven't yet? Everybody, really. Anybody who want to work with me, I'm open to work with them because I, I got such a passion for music. I'm really, I'm really open to work with anybody there. And I know there's a lot of big-name people. If they're willing to work with them, I'm, I'm so open to them. 
All right, so it's out there right now. They should know. They know where to find you, and they probably already do. Let me finally ask you. <laughs> you're having another huge year. Your name is coming up as a possible Pro Bowl selection. I know you're focused on the task at hand. I know you're all about the team, but what would it mean to you to be named to a Pro Bowl? Oh, that's always a great honor. I'm saying when you get named to the Pro Bowl by your, the fans, the coaches, your peers, all that, that's always a great honor. So so it, it would be a blessing. It would definitely be a, be a great honor. I would greatly appreciate it. All right, so it's a Friday. It's a fun Friday. More importantly, it's a flameout Friday. This email sets it up. Rome, the biggest jungle flameout ever, is Kyle in Green Bay. It's not even close. The dude didn't even get your actual name out of his mouth and rewarded the jungle with some fresh new gloss for you with his Drew Jumpman skillet play on words. Kyle literally and figuratively dropped the mic. Aaron in Omaha, War Husker Volleyball being crowned champs tomorrow night in KC. All right, so let me lay it out. I see it this way. We live in a hyperspeed culture. Everything is the best ever or it's the worst ever. And we simply can't wait for any time to go by to place it in its proper historical context. Like that six-gamer the Dodgers and Astros played. Best World Series of all time. Yeah, but the people who said that were the same people who called the 2016 Indians-Cubs World Series the greatest of all time. Like, we see something really good or really bad, and we instantly want to rank it as the best thing ever or the worst thing ever. Now, I'm not really condemning it. I mean, hell, it's natural. The amount of information that we're all consuming and processing on a daily basis makes it impossible to keep track of everything and properly rank it. I understand. It's a challenge. Which leads me to yesterday. Dr. Dave in Chicago got a giant fish hook stuck in his lip when he called to take the super bait and respond to Vic and NoCal, who had absolutely crushed him the day before. Now, I'm not going to play that call. Not yet. But it went badly for Dr. Dave. So badly that hundreds, I mean literally hundreds of listeners tweeted in calling it the worst flame out in jungle history, which is strong. I mean, calling anything around here the best or the worst of all time is pretty freaking bold, considering I've got a storage closet of 30 years worth of tape stacked from the floor to the ceiling. But maybe those people who were saying that Dr. Dave flamed worse than anybody else were right. Maybe they were. Who am I to say? So I did the right thing. I did the Democratic thing. I put it to a vote. And if you check my Twitter feed this morning, I did pose this question. What's the biggest flame out in jungle history? And then I narrowed that down to four options because that's all Twitter allows. So to pay homage to Jukebox Friday, this is Flame Out Friday, a top four countdown list decided by you. Not me, not the XR4TI, but decided by you, the clones, in an effort to determine the biggest flame job in show history. And the vote was pretty close. Coming in at number four, the aforementioned Dr. Dave in Chicago. Now, it's surprising, especially considering the knee-jerk reaction. But if you missed it, once again, Dr. Dave called in to respond to a legend, and it went even worse than even I could have ever imagined. Dr. Dave, I'm putting aside what I was going to get to to go right to the phones. Hey, Dave, what's going on? How are you? Go ahead, Doc. You're on the air. Jim, how's it going? Good, good. What's up? Hey Jim, how's it going? Still good. What's up? Hey, I hope you. Not much, man. I hope you and Alvin got your flu shots and got award the best new jungle scope out there, the wood scope. But first, I must say a, a somber yippee ki to the death of the original Mr. Falcon, Tommy Novus. Even Tom Rothman can appreciate that. Sorry for the late response, Vic, but unlike you, my position in this world has something of substantial community value. While you spend your time. Uh, perfecting the perfect selfie. I spend my day recovering, saving dying, dying children. <clears throat> oh, sorry, Jim. I'm done. So much better today than it was yesterday. And it always is. Now, you can see by that phone call, less than two days old, cracked an all-time list. Less than two days old, cracked an all-time list. He choked up. He couldn't even start his call until I had to tell him he was on for a second time. Now, maybe me telling him he was on twice is why he asked me how I was doing twice. But it got worse from there. 
And the reaction was amazing. People are calling for this dude's license to practice to be revoked. But this audience apparently does appreciate history because that call finished DFL in the poll. Good enough to be only two days old and make the poll, but not good enough to win it because you've got a greater appreciation for those who came before him. Coming in at number three with 20% of the vote, another relatively new call. In fact, this one is from November of 2016. Some of you might remember that we recently reset this call last month to celebrate the one-year anniversary of the call. But it's also a call that might actually get better and better the more and more it's played. Because this call defies everything that I knew to be reality. The third biggest flame out, as decided by you, the clones, is Kyle in Green Bay. In Green Bay, Kyle, good to have you on. How are you? Hey, I'm great, man. Oh, man, I'm nervous. How's it going? You have no idea how good that call is. The only way to appreciate how good that call is, how layered and tiered that call is, is to slow it down. Alvi, before we do that, to fully appreciate what we're talking about, I need you to run it back in real time one more time. Like, you think it's funny, and you think it's an amazing flame out, but you have no idea exactly what happened there. Listen to it in real speed. In Green Bay, Kyle, good to have you on. How are you? Hey, I'm great. Oh, man, I'm nervous. How's it going? I mean, that word word salad is something really special. And it's funny, and it's weird, but I need to slow this thing down so you can fully understand what just happened. That phone call was so badly butchered in such a fast and quick motion that I need Alvin to slow it way the hell down just so we can decode all the different layers. Kyle, good to have you on. How are you? Hey, I'm great, Drew. Oh, man, I'm nervous. How's it going? I don't know what's better. Kyle in slow-mo, slow-mo or LT in slow-mo. LT slow down is probably even better. I had to work that thing for an entire segment. I had to decode that thing for an entire segment just to determine exactly how some way, somehow, he called me Drew the Jumpman Gillett. I don't know if he was reaching for Jim or Rome or Van Smack or what it was. Whatever it was he was trying to get to, he ended up with Drew the Jumpman Gillett. Drew, Jumpman Gillett. Oh, man, I'm nervous. How's it going? Sound like you're on acid, too. Oh, man, I'm nervous, Gillett. And since then, you've heard me read tweets and emails that start, Dear Drew, yo, Jumpman, hey, Gillett. And if you missed that call, you probably have no idea why the hell those tweets and those emails start that way and come every single day. My man somehow turned a three-letter, one-syllable name into a 19-letter, six-syllable gloss for the ages, and now he's a legend. If that's only third best, what are the top two? I mean, that email was right. How does Kyle not win? Number two. On the list of all-time jungle flames, as decided not by me or the XR4TI, but by the clones. You clones. Fabian going Flamian. This is the OG flame of all flames. And all the noobs who do not know need to know. Fabian truly is old school. One of a kind. There's even actually some debate as to when this call took place. The nut. Stucknut says it happened between 05 and 06. Alvin disagrees and says it happened even earlier. But the same guy saying it happened before 05 has it labeled in his system as 08. So I don't know exactly when it happened. Even I don't know. Let's just say that that hazy timestamp even adds to the allure of that call. Because it does. It's short. It's sweet. And damn it, it is timeless. Fabian, Los Angeles. 
Talk to me. What is on your mind? Doggy dog. I swear, Rome, it's the most... Oh, man. Okay, okay. I told you that was short, and it was sweet. Now, I think, and there's even some debate here. Maybe he would know better. But I think that was Fabian's first ever call. And it was way before Twitter, but it still earned him the gloss, Flamian. And according to the nut, and I can't confirm this, it wasn't until five years later that Flamian started to call the show once again. And he coined a bunch of his own terms. You know, 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 look at his damn face, bro. Okay. Like, come on, get me off of the group of those losers, bro. Put me with the drunks. It's all gravy, you know. Put me with the, you know, you know, you know, you know. And this guy in Canada is like, come on, dude. You don't even know me, homie. You know? Neep. Ah, yeah. Doggy dog. Neep. I mean, I love that everybody still loves that call because it shows that you know the history of the program. And Fabes, my man, you hold up, bro. You hold up. That stood. (laughs) That's funny, right? That stood the test of time. It always will. <laughs> That's the OG. That's number two. Okay. That okay. That's how a guy named Fabian immediately gets a gloss of Flamian. That's number two. And now the number one flameout in the history of the jungle, according to this extremely scientific Twitter poll that ran this morning on my feed. Three words. Matt. In. Cleveland. Let's go to Matt in Cleveland. You know Matt. He's Tarzan. Let's go right to it. Matt, be ready. It's your time. You made it in. Matt, what's up? What's going on? What's up? Uh, first of all, being a star linebacker in Canada, that just means you're a failed hockey player. Uh, uh, Christy Alley, uh, Val Kilmer, global warming. Ah. No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. There's your all time <laughs> That is your all time jungle flame out. Matt in Cleveland. That call was from the twenty eleven hack off. And for those of you who don't know, the hack off was the ugly stepbrother of the smack-off. The smack-off was for the best of the best. The hack-off was for the worst of the worst. So what I used to do is put the hack-off on right before the smack-off. The hack-off set up the smack-off. If we were going to have a show for the best callers ever, we had to have a show for the worst callers ever. Matt made that call during the 2011 hack-off, seven and a half years ago, and it remains one of the best pieces of audio in talk radio history, and it happened right here. And to this day, it's reset on Twitter and in emails almost every single program. That call has staying power unlike almost any I've ever heard. Randy and Jason Sklar have said that that call was the hardest they've ever laughed. People literally, myself included, people were literally concerned that Matt in Cleveland died on the phone. That was a legitimate concern we had, that this dude somehow went into cardiac arrest or he stroked out or something like that. That was the sole reason I brought the hack-off back, that the hack-off lived to see another year, which he called in for again, so he did not die. And I'm here to tell you, he never will. He will never die because that 2011 call is going to live on forever. In infamy, sure, but forever. So there you have it. Flame Out Friday. That's the top four in order decided by you. Now, I know already there will be debate over the choices and the order. That's fine. Keep in mind, you're the ones who voted. If you didn't vote, that's on you, not me. That's what Twitter and email is for. So if maybe you saw the poll too late, if maybe the polls closed before you could get to them, go ahead. Hit me up right now. Vote right now. Let me know what you think. I'm happy to roll in some honorable mentions. It's literally impossible to come up with four. When there have been hundreds, Twitter allows for four. I want to give you something to vote on. So if we got it wrong, if those were the wrong options, hit me up right now. Let's keep this thing going. Flame out Friday. If not now, then when? End of the week, end of the year, a time to look back at some of the truly horrible phone calls. Not just this week, not just this year, but over the years. Go ahead and do it. 
The subject of this email is, stop, I can't work, crying. This guy didn't even get to the email. There's no email. There's no body of email. He just said, stop, I can't work, crying. <laughs> Matt stopped me in my tracks, too. Uh, Christy Alley. Fabian. What's up, Fabian? What's up? Damn, doggy dog, you put me on the spot because, damn, am I really the one to talk about me? You dig? <laughs> hey, you know what? I thought I was calling the hotline. Hey, for those that don't believe Rome, he picked up one time, and I'm like, damn, what's up, dog? You know, whatever. But, yeah, keep calling the line and stop being stupid. Um, anyway, hey, Rome, right now I just called pretty much because somebody tweeted that I was like the number two flame out or something or something, you know, so enlighten me. Tell me what's, what's going on. I'm going to stay quiet. I mean, I heard a few things, you know. What, so you're not, you know, you know, you know, you know, I know, I know, but do you know? Yeah, Flaming, we're talking about some of the biggest flameouts ever because Dr. Dave from Chicago called yesterday and he flamed out and it went really badly for him. So, oh, we decided, yeah, okay, <laughs> car chat, <laughs> neep. So, what I'm saying, it happens, you know, <laughs> to you yeah, a lot. Yeah, homeboy, yeah, yeah, Vic smacked him down pretty good. He did tell him he's gonna crack his head and you know, he just slips on the vine. I don't know, this cat, I don't know, whatever. Hey, dude, I'm here. I got time, like I said, bro. Uh, you know, honestly, ask me. I don't know. I don't know. I just, I, I, I called. I just called because somebody said that you said something that about the number. Fabian, uh, do you want me to answer the question not or I not? I want to be the number one, but okay. Hey, so let, let me ask you. So you came in second. Are you upset that you didn't win? Should you have won as the biggest flameout ever? Is that a distinction that you want on this program? The biggest flameout ever, bro. <laughs> you dig? <laughs> do you I hear you. I don't know if you can hear me, but no, I can hear you. No, I can hear you. I can hear you. All right, so just I don't want to curse, bro. But okay, well, don't you know, curse. So you, know, you know, you know. Goodbye, 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 goodbye. You know, you know, you know. Paul Flannery is my guest. Yeah, there's no way that he didn't mean anything by it. Of course he knew. <laughs> of course LeBron knew that that the camera would be on him at the end of the game, and as he goes over to talk to Alonzo Ball, the camera's going to be on him, and that's the only thing anyone's going to be talking about the next day. I didn't really watch that game. I was busy doing something else. But I, you know, I clicked on Twitter just about the time the game was wrapping up, and that photo just went, you know, boom, 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 boom. Everybody's talking. What does it mean? What are they talking about? I mean, honestly, who who knows and who cares really? But that's that's the NBA right now. It's the games are great. I enjoy the games, but all this other stuff is what we're talking about the next day. LeBron knew exactly what he was doing. I would agree with you. Now, how valuable is it then to the league to have the face of the league be a player who is that comfortable in the media spotlight and who knows his power the way LeBron does? Oh, it means everything, Jim. I mean, look, you, know, you look at the odds, right? Tim Duncan was probably the best player of that generation before Kobe sort of, you know, made his ascent. Tim Duncan, by his own admission, it was pretty boring. That's kind of hard to sell a league when your top player is a 6'11 Sphinx playing in San Antonio. It's just hard. It's hard to do very difficult you know Kobe really took that mantle and ran with it um, Jordan of course had that mantle and ran with it magic when you have that one singular transcendent star it just lifts the whole league up and when you have a guy like LeBron who is not afraid to use his power and is not afraid to hopscotch teams when he wants to when it when it suits his purposes that drives a tremendous amount of tension uh, of uh, attention into the NBA I mean it's perfect Paul Flannery joining us, senior editor and NBA writer for SB Nation. One more thought about that. I mean, it's good for the league, but how does that impact the other players, and how do they react to it, and what do they do with that when they see that? Well, I mean, you know, as as I wrote in that piece, you know, LeBron sort of laid down the mantle for what you can do when you're a superstar. If you're willing to accept that people are not going to be happy with your decision in the moment, you can literally do anything. If you're Kevin Durant, you can go join the Warriors. It's okay. People are going to get mad. But it's still okay. You can do it. If you're, hey, look, if you're Kyrie Irving and you say, here's my chance to make a leverage play, you can do it. You know, you just have to be able to live with the consequences. And so if I'm a player, I thank God every day for LeBron. I mean, he's, he's taken this league into, into a stratosphere that I wasn't sure they were going to be able to get back to post-Jordan and post-80s. And they're there right now. You know, and on that conversation, if you're Paul George, you can do it as well. So let's stay on that point for a minute. He made his return to Indiana Wednesday night. What do you make of the treatment that he received by the Pacer fans? You know, I, I worked in Philly for a long time. Jim, so, I, so I'm very familiar with how fa- fan reaction to, to players. And, you know, short of throwing batteries at people, which we should not do. You know, my, my, my take on this is fans are going to do what they're going to do, and it's fine. You know, Paul George, and I'm a big Paul George guy, but he definitely 
you know, left, left some, left some stuff in his wake on his way out the door. He was not happy the last couple of years. He was kind of pouty. He, he complained about a lot of things. Now he might be, he might've been right about all that, but if you're an Indiana Pacer fan, you're like, Hey man, come on, you're the guy, let's go. And you know, it didn't happen there. So if their reaction is, you know, good riddance, I guess, not to mention, by the way, they've now got a guy, Victor Oladipo, that they can rally around. That kind of that kind of helps. I would love it if fans, you know, gave a guy a nice nice ovation when they came back to town. That would be lovely, but that's not the world we live in either. Hey, Paul, I'm not calling out a Philadelphia fan. I'm just bringing this up because you said you work there. And, hey, look, there are fans that are notorious. There are fans that are tough on players in all cities. But Philadelphia is a taller town. Other than throwing batteries, what is the worst thing you've ever seen a Philadelphia fan do, or at least when you work there? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I can talk about these kinds of things on the air, Jim. Mm. But uh, you know, I mean, I covered the Eagles for a while, and you'd go through the you'd go through the parking lot before the game, and you know, it was you know like ritual sacrifice going on there. If you happen to walk into the if you happen to walk through the parking lot in a in a in a Cowboys jersey, you were you were asking for some trouble. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, well, if you walk through that parking lot with Cowboys gear on, you might deserve some trouble. That's, that's, that's a different conversation for a different time. You mentioned Oladipo. He had some amazing moments in college, but his first four NBA seasons weren't exactly incredible for somebody who was the second pick overall, but now he's playing lights out. How much of this is about him improving, and then how much of that, Paul, is about him being in a situation that was just a better fit for him? I think it's both. I mean, you know, Oladipo has always had a rep as a really hard worker. If you remember when he came to, when he came to Indiana, he was like a 6'3 high school power forward who just dominated people because of his athleticism. He had to learn how to play the wing position, the guard position in college. And by the end, he was, I, I don't, I'm sure he was Big Ten Player of the Year. I don't remember. But, you know, he was an All-American. Let's just put it that way. And so when he gets to the NBA, he's got to learn a whole different level of play. And they tried to make him into a point guard, which didn't stick. And they tried to make him do other things that didn't stick. So eventually, once the situation solved itself, that was going to be okay. But I give him a lot of credit because nobody saw him shooting the way he's shooting from three-point range. But he's worked on that every day for the last, you know, seven, eight years, sometimes it just clicks later than it does for, for some guys. So I think it's a lot of him, and I think it's a lot of the situation. I mean, frankly, I didn't see this coming, and I'm not sure anybody in Indiana really saw this coming. They might have wanted it to, but I don't think they, they planned on this. Paul Flannery joining me for a few more moments. So LeBron, let me go back to that for a minute. He's 15 years in, arguably still the best player in the world, or is he? I mean, as good as LeBron has been, James Harden has been just as good. Could you make the argument that he's been even better than LeBron? Yeah, well, I mean, so there's two different things here. Like, if we're talking MVP, I've got Harden number one. If we're talking best player in the world, I've got LeBron number one. And like, I don't think the, I don't think that's that's too out of the realm of possibility to sort of slice it that way. To me, if you got one game to win, I want LeBron on my team. That's the way I look at it. And you know, I think Durant is right up there in that conversation as well. But if you've got one game, who are you picking first? I'm taking LeBron. Hmm. You know, the, the Rockets, when you look at them, though, with the arrival of Chris Paul, the Rockets make sure that they've always got either Paul or Harden on the floor to run the team, which is great. But sometimes a dynamic like that can be tricky when both these guys are on the floor together. So how impressed have you been with the way they've approached it and how it's worked out for them so far? Oh, it's brilliant. And, you know, I was a skeptic. I was a skeptic in the sense of you have two guys who, you know, feel like everything needs to flow through them, and they're both right about that. They've proven that throughout their career. So how is that going to work? How they're how they're how they're rotating them and alternating them has been that that's that's great. But then you look a little bit deeper. James Harden, Chris Paul, Mike D'Antoni, even Daryl Morey. These guys need to win. They need to do it now because they have had you know so many chances to come close and they've come very close, but they've never gotten over that hump. If they can't make it work together, then it may never work. And so I think all those guys need to sort of just have taken a look at the situation and said, okay. How are we going to make this better? How am I going to make you better? How am I going to make, you know, how am I going to make everyone else around me better? And it's, it's gone far better than I thought it was going to be. I, if you're asking me right now who the best team in the league is, it's been Houston on this date. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to pick them to beat the Warriors, but they have played lights out. And, you know, I think you've got to give Chris Paul an awful lot of credit in this situation. He was hurt. He's coming back in. And it's not that he is deferred to Harden. He's done his thing, and it's just worked. So I give Chris Paul an awful lot of credit. Now, Paul, you qualified that. You said on this date. It is mid-December. But how do you think the Rockets as a team match up a Golden State in a seven-game series? I think it's going to be fascinating because they can score with them. And, you know, people don't know about Clint Capella. They're going to they're gonna have to get familiar with this guy because 
he is the rim protector that they have needed for a long time. And you go up and down their roster, you've got Eric Gordon, you've got a bunch of Trevor Ariza, you've got a bunch of guys who know how to play. My big concern with them is that four-man spot, Draymond Green, because he will make Ryan Anderson unplayable in a playoff series. They'll just run him right off the court. That's going to be a problem. That's sort of the one little weakness I feel that, that Houston would have in a series. But, you know, that said, they match up pretty well across the board. I would still take Golden State. But this is, the, this is a credible challenge, and I did not know they were going to be able to provide that this year. Paul, before I let you go, I want to ask you about a piece I thought was really interesting that you wrote recently for SB Nation. It's about Charlotte Hornets associate head coach Stephen Silas, where you write about a day in his life. How would you describe the daily grind for an associate head coach? I mean, I was with uh, Stephen from about 9 o'clock in the morning for shoot-around through 10 o'clock at night before, 11 o'clock at night after the game was over, before they got on a plane and flew, I think they flew home after that. And, you know, outside of, like, lunch, there really isn't much of a break. They work from shoot-around. Steven uh, scouts film for several hours. They get to the arena at 4.30. He works out with his guys. They do game plan prep. They do all these things. There are all these things happening behind the scenes of an NBA game just to get ready. And this is every night. This is 82 games. These guys work tremendously hard. I'm, I'm really hopeful that Steven's going to be able to do something with this opportunity now that Steve Clifford's out. It's a tough one because Charlotte's not playing well right now. But he is definitely deserving to be a head coach. And you know, when you see the work he puts in and the respect he has from his players, it's pretty impressive. Let it rip. What's cracking? Welcome to the jungle. My name is Jim Rome. I am live in Southern California. Hope you had a tremendous weekend. Let's get this thing going. Wild weekend in the NFL, so let me start right there. Eagles 43, Rams 35. As good as that win was, and it was great. Losing Carson Wentz to a knee injury might just ruin everything. Yeah! He's a big-bodied quarterback, a big target. He got hit hard. Mark Barron was in. He is the biggest reason why Philly is where they are right now. And as good and well-rounded as the Eagles are, you do not lose the MVP favorite and just keep on rolling. You don't just next man up. Carson Wentz. Touchdown! 70. Los Angeles. Show me your lightning bolt. What a freaking town. Carson. Silver Lake. Rosemead. Woodland Hill. Redondo Beach. Hermosa Beach. Malibu. Broad Beach. Tarzana. Hey, honey. Have you seen the old Rivers jersey? War? Me and my charger. The cameras are on. You can't see what we're doing, but we are rehearsing. This is a live simulcast. So the jungle comes to television finally after all this time. And it's going to happen on January 2nd. Jeff Passanis, just one thought. What do you make of what Derek Jeter and the Marlins got in exchange for Stanton? I think pennies on the dollar would be overvaluing it, to be honest. They are in pure dump mode. Dumping your pit. Deion Jones is my guest. I uh, really just cut back on the candy. I try to do my best to keep it out. I just can't. I can't. And the lead of Miami over New England. That was about as predictable as any clown rolling out this morning with a take about how Tom Brady is done. Blake Martinez is my guest. And I had three enormous pancakes, fried French toast, ham, green onion omelet, a long sub, molten lava cake, boneless buffalo wing, a burger, and then end of the night with donuts. Donuts. What the hell was the point of that, Gruden? Next time, feel free to mix in some basic mathematics, fat ass. I don't think that was Scotty for Scotty, fake Scotty. Fake Scotty, fake Scotty. I honestly can't tell if he's the youngest looking old guy or the oldest looking young guy I've ever seen. Are you just an old guy with boring takes or a boring guy with old takes? Is that like a fire alarm, I wonder? That strobe light? We need some lasers. Alvy got Molly. Hey, Molly, you got the Alvy? Lorenzo Alexander, my guest. Be able to finish out the game, you know, getting the ball back for our offense and should be able to finish out the way it did. It was awesome. And obviously, you saw the mayhem after the game, all the snow angels, snowballs being tossed all over the place. So it was great. It doesn't work out. My family's in big trouble. How? It always works out. Is that what that show is? Flip or flip? Are we going to make 20 grand or 50 grand? Are we going to make 50 grand or 90 grand? I know one thing. They never lose any money. Time to find another house to flip. Deneen. I'm really happy that Aaron Rodgers is coming back. Clay Matthews is not going to let anyone touch him. Well, Deneen. Tom Verducci. I'm doing well, Jim. I'm just trying to recover from an exciting winter meeting watching teams make a run at nameless, faceless middle relievers. Good times. <laughs> it's so great. Alvin Gentry joining us. Actually, I was a college coach and I was an assistant with Larry Brown Larry the year Brown, that we won Larry the Brown, national Larry championship. Brown, Larry and Dave, Brown. if you have a problem with this, then grab a vine and step on up and get your head cracked. Sorry for the late response, Vic, but unlike you, uh, I spend my day recovering, saving dying, dying children. <clears throat> oh, sorry, Jim. I'm done.
Ah! Hey, my man, stay down. Stay down, Doc. Stop trying to get up. Stay down. Just stay down and play dead. Chris Beer joining us. You know, my deal is I've always kind of been like the street dog, taking the hard way and tried to prove people wrong and never really been giving anything to me. And, you know, there's a lot of pet store dogs in the mall, and I'd look at those dogs, but I never thought about buying one of them. I'm more of a humane society kind of guy. Pouring out for AIM. The chat app for 12-year-olds that I've used for like 10 years. Believe it or not, this is how we all communicate. The Jungle Inc. has communicated with AIM. You don't need to come in here and tell me what's better. I know everything's better, but I'm going to ride this thing right to the very end. Hooked up with tens of chicks. Oh! I don't know how to use a knife. Oh! Who's going to cut this steak? Arthur Motes is my guest. Hey, man, it feels great to be back. And I just got to say, that was a top-notch introduction. I just want to let you know that, man. I appreciate it. man, Arthur Motes. <laughs> More good-looking, lean Canadian showing up on your simulcast to break up the onslaught of muffin-top American. And these gangs got more drops than a damn skydiving company. More importantly, it's a flame-out Friday. It's the most... Oh, man. Okay. Drew, drop, man. Uh, Chris Alley. I... Oh, I cut down all the trees in the... Ah! It's not as easy as a lot of us make it seem. Melvin Ingram joining me for a few more moments. Every time I touch the pig skin, it's probably going to be a touchdown. I'll get a lot of fireworks if I touch it. It's going to be a touchdown. So we decided. Oh, yeah. Okay. Fart cat. Out. Side sucks. He was planning to kill this woman after taking her money. Knott's Berry Farm, baby. Go Broncos. Beat Navy. Alvy, are you eating on your new board? Jock strap. Anton Roller. Jeff? Knock him dead, Rome. It's just you and me against the world. So you're a Swifty Huff? Hashtag Team Tay Tay. Talk about ill advised. I'm done. I ignored her, Nikki. Good night now! Look at Alvin getting something in from the last segment. For the last segment. That's it for now. Hope you all backed it in, denimed up, and finished strong. I appreciate you. I appreciate the love for the Jim Rome podcast, too. Another one drops on Tuesday in our final week of 2017. Just four more shows before the year in review on Friday. Have an amazing weekend. Check back Monday, and I'll see you then. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired, and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it. Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.